To the untrained eye, real estate is the business of shelter, of comfort, of home. But industry insiders know that just behind the curtain resides a world teeming with innovation and disruption and sometimes brutal competition. And there, in the midst of it all, stand our industry leaders, the folks with the answers to our million-dollar questions in real estate. We've got a, one of those leaders here for you today. I'm Jessica Edgerton. And I'm Tarko Heidinga from a leading real estate companies of the world. Let's pull back the curtain. Welcome to Million Dollar Question. This is a Soulfire production. During the past 24 months, housing inventory has been historically tight due to a conflation of pandemic-driven migration, supply chain breakdowns, worker shortages, and a universal craving among consumers for more privacy, more space, and more access to nature. Historically, low mortgage rates during 2020 and 2021 added fuel to the rush to buy, leading in the majority of markets to previously unheard of multi-bidder competition and closings in some cases hundreds of thousands of dollars over asking price. Now, here we are in mid-2022 with a cooling economy, normalizing interest rates, and an overall softening of the inventory crunch of the past two years. And yes, I did just refer to our current mortgage rates, over 6% for a 30-year fixed mortgage, as normalizing. While this might inspire sticker shock for any newbies who are emerging from the historic lows of recent years, anybody who bought a home in 2002, 6.54%, or 1992, 8.39%, or 1982, 16.4%, I'll stop there, but you get the picture, current rates are, yes, normalizing. So... With all of that in mind, how should would-be, could-be home buyers be thinking about the housing market right now? Well, for those would-be home buyers out there who are eyeing the current conflation of economic circumstances with some trepidation, for those second home hopefuls out there who threw their hands up during the inventory insanity that we're just now emerging from, for those folks enjoying the new era of work from anywhere and the home buying choices that come with it, have I got the guest for you today to answer your questions about what to do next. Andy Smith is the president and CEO of Badger, Peabody & Smith, a top New England real estate firm and a longstanding member of leading real estate companies of the world. While the firm offers a broad swath of services, including commercial real estate, first homes, luxury, niche properties, growing up in some of the most idyllic natural landscapes in the United States, Andy's personal passion for second and vacation homes has driven his unique expertise in this field. And he's here with us today to pull back the curtain on the second home market. Hi, Andy. Good morning, Jessica. How are you? I'm doing great. I am so happy to see you. It's been a while since we've seen each other in person, but this will do for now. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Looking forward to it. Well, um, I it's it's an exciting market right now, and you are immersed in so many different elements 
of real estate, not only as the leader of your company, um, but you really have a great macro vision on what's happening um, across the country, particularly uh, when it comes to vacation homes. I mean, we've been through such a crazy ride recently with the U.S. market. We saw the pandemic. Uh, you know, soaring demand for vacation homes, second homes. In some cases, folks buying second homes as first homes. Everybody wanted to sort of be out of the city and find space and um, and find some separation from other humans. And of course, things are changing quickly at this point. Um, we've we've seen some market cooling, and of course, right now, just in terms of where we're going with the with the economy. I mean, that's that's a whole other story. So, so let's start with sort of that, that macro picture and, and the million dollar question. We have a crazy situation right now. Everybody, you know, the, the, it's rare that we have housing sort of as, as the top headlines, uh, but that's happening right now. Um, give us your perspective on sort of the, the big picture when it comes to real estate and in particular, second homes. Is this a good time for folks to be looking at a second home? Um, I think the quick answer is absolutely, Jessica. The uh, second home market has certainly evolved. Uh, it's evolved uh, from a generational standpoint where, you know, maybe 30 or 40 years ago that the, the typical second home or, or we the, we primarily serve the, the kind of northeast seaboard. Uh, we have lakes and mountains uh, that basically were the playground for the greater Boston and, and New York, uh, Philly, Connecticut area. Um, it used to be much more of a seasonal thing. People said, well, we're going to go up and buy a ski house, and they would shut it down in the summer, and that would be it. Over the years, that has evolved into much more of a four-season uh, second home where they want to maybe use it over the Christmas holidays, they want to come up in the summer, they may use it sometimes for a, uh, a part-time rental. Uh, so that has been evolving over the years uh, into much more of a four-season home than just a, a, a one-season uh, vacation home. The pandemic certainly accelerated that uh, beyond anybody's expectations. I think in, in March of 2020, everything was shut down. Nobody could go anywhere. You know, we didn't we didn't know what was going to happen, as, as nobody did over the next couple of couple of months. But uh, certainly, it it surprised us with the pace and the velocity uh, of people wanting to get out of the metro areas and accelerating their maybe plans to come up. And, and, and enjoy some of the lakes, mountains, you know, whether it's in New Hampshire or Maine, Vermont, Minnesota, but the, the rural areas really were attracted to people getting out of the, the metro areas. Uh, there was a frenzy and a, and a almost panic. Uh, we had people calling us up on a Friday saying, my family's in the car, I'm driving up, I want to buy a house this weekend that we can move into. Um, so that... The, after six or seven months, that the, the panic began to die down, but the velocity has remained. Um, and some of that, I think, is the pandemic had a very emotional uh, effect on people, where vacation homes, second homes, uh, are a fulfillment of a dream 
and it's, it's all about experiences and going sledding or fishing or whatever it might be. Um, people didn't want to postpone those dreams and experiences anymore. And they still don't. Um, the, the, I think that's pushed the demand for people to, to accelerate what may have been a five or 10 year plan in their family. They're saying, you know what? We're not going to wait. The experience is now. Uh, we're going to figure it out. And we want to we wanna make time count. The, the, the COVID had a very deep uh, effect on, on family planning. And that certainly evolved into real estate. So I think that the acceleration that, that we're still seeing is, is driven both off of uh, it's been a good investment. Uh, it's still a good investment, even though uh, there's all sorts of headlines about mortgage rates going up and things slowing down. Well, the only thing that really is slowing down is the rate of the increase in prices. The prices are still increasing. They may not be going up at 18 or 20% anymore, uh, which they did for a couple of years. And that's a good thing. That's not a sustainable increase. Uh, but even with a moderate uh, rate of increase, three, four, five, six, seven percent most experts uh, that we, we have polled still are saying that the price increase across the country is going to be between 8 and 10% in 2022, even with the effect of the higher interest rate. So is that a good investment? Absolutely. I mean, if you can buy a home now, it's going to be worth 10% more next year. And you do accelerate that family experience. You do get to go skiing or fishing or go to the beach or whatever it might be that you can you can put into that uh, that bucket list of family experiences that you've done. You've done it now. So that that's a huge investment return as well. In terms of inventory and other sort of during that panic, but even after, um, there were stories of folks literally in line for open houses for second homes, getting in fights with each other in the front yard. I mean, that panic really led to some some crazy bidding wars, et cetera. Do you see also just from a buyer's perspective now that some of that is, I think, cooling off a little bit, that also sort of being an impetus for, for now being the time? Absolutely. Uh, we did. We we. we uh... We saw waiting lines for, for open houses, and we still do, uh, but it has definitely come back down to a more reasonable level. So instead of having 500 people show up for, for an open house over a weekend, maybe we'll have 50. But that's still that's still a very good turnout in our marketplace. We're very, very happy with that. It, uh, it, it, it's funny. We're, we're beginning to see sellers uh, coming back to us and saying, geez, I only have three offers on my house. That's not enough. Go back out to the marketplace and get, get more. Uh, when three or four years ago, if we had three competing offers at or above list price, the sellers would be delighted. And so would we. So it, the expectations are, are, are something that has to be tempered a little bit, that maybe you're not going to get 15, 20, 25 offers on your house. And that, that's probably an okay thing. The other, obviously, so, yeah. Go ahead. As the second home, vacation home. In fact, we we coined a new phrase during the, the pandemic, which was the second primary home, because people were they were buying these houses not as vacation homes. They were buying them and and moving it, and certainly working from them. They wanted Zoom rooms and they were working remotely. But they've also uh, they've enrolled kids in the schools and they've gotten involved in the community. So. Uh, what might have been their dream to just have a vacation home that they can come up to uh, with 
we're roughly two to three hours north of Boston. So we have a lot of people who come up on Friday and maybe don't go back till Monday morning. Uh, that's been extended. Uh, you know, maybe they never going back to Boston to work, or maybe they're only going back one, one week a month. So these homes have changed their use uh, rather than just a second to vacation home. It, these are, these are where people are living, and uh, that's changed. Um, hopefully, uh, and I think we're beginning to see it, the inventory is creeping up, which is good. Uh, you know, we, we started the pandemic with maybe eight, nine, ten months worth of inventory. We went down to less than 12 days, I think, at one of the, the uh, hottest points. That's beginning to creep back up. We're still under a month of inventory in, in, in the Northeast right now. Uh, but the people who maybe have uh, been really shut out, first-time home buyers, VA or FHA buyers, people who just really needed to finance, they're going to begin to uh, see some more inventory. And uh, they've been completely shut out of a market that's all over all over list and a vast majority cash purchases, some with no inspection, some with no contingencies whatsoever. So uh, the, there's still a strong demand from buyers who just weren't able to compete in that kind of a marketplace. So as the inventory comes up, there's still lots and lots of buyers. We don't, we don't anticipate any slowdown. And maybe we're actually anticipating an increase in unit sales this year. So right now, with there continuing to be sort of a movement towards uh, work from anywhere, hybrid work, um, the the geographic expansion of people's of of people's choice range, where they are from what may have originally been home base, is expanded, and I think will continue to expand. When you're looking holistically and consulting with uh, buyers, where um, if, if they're looking to sort of move beyond the, your geographic area, do you think right now are good places for folks to be looking for a second vacation home? Um, well, I think from a national standpoint, uh, Florida, Nevada, the, the, actually South Dakota was one of the bigger demands, uh, Tennessee, Texas, uh, Wyoming. So kind of a, a, a wide variety of where most people are moving to. Um, I think it really does depend on, on the age and what they're looking for. We, we've always had folks uh, leave the Northeast for someplace warmer as they retire and maybe don't want to deal with the cold and the snow. Uh, so I, I think it's somewhat of a, of a personal uh, choice on, on where they are in their, their life and what, what they want to do. Uh, we're, we're seeing not just in the Northeast, but also I think uh, in other rural areas, there's a whole new slew of buyers that, that we're actually seeing and we've uh, uh, seen what, what we call the environmental relocation, uh, that people are, are leaving areas with maybe real concerns about water supply or forest fires or earthquakes or mudslides. So that, that there's also a relocation to safety kind of tied back in with that that COVID, I'm not going to wait any longer. Let's let's go ahead and make this move. So there's, there's a lot of influences on why people are moving and where they're moving to. Uh, but environmental concerns and uh, uh, a flight to safety, not just from COVID now, but from, from other external factors is affecting where people are headed. Um, and that, that's, that's been a, a relatively the fires have been such a huge news story recently. And you're seeing a lot of displacement either by anticipatory by choice or in some cases post facto, which is pretty 
pretty scary. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they, they have found uh, that the Northeast scores relatively low risk in a lot of those factors. We don't, we don't really have a forest fire problem. We have, at this point, plenty of water to drink. So, uh, and then it's still easy enough to get in and out of with good uh, internet, uh, good uh, highway, highway systems and airports. So it's not all that remote, but uh, they are feeling that it's a safer place to be right now. And it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get more, more interesting, unfortunately, I think, as time goes on. Um, so you are in, uh, you know, a, a beautiful and pretty broad region. You've got a lot of buyers, though, that sometimes will will ask, all right, not only do I want to hear your consultation on the uh, on the U.S., but if I'm looking internationally, what do I do? Uh, how do you how do you answer to that if folks are looking beyond the U.S. borders? Sure. Um, there, there are some people. Absolutely. Again, going back to we're not going to wait any any longer. We, we want to get our our international uh, home or we want to have an alternative. Uh, one of the, the uh, great opportunities we have is our colleagues through leading real estate companies in the world and, and luxury portfolios. So if somebody wants to know more about Panama or, or Italy, uh, I reach out to our colleagues in anywhere in the, anywhere in the, in the globe and, and ask for advice. And, and it, it's a great ability to be able to, to introduce folks to uh, good brokers and, and local experts in places that uh, uh, we just don't obviously have that, that market knowledge. So real estate is local and uh, being part of a great international network like Leading RE and, and Luxury Portfolio has been, been a real resource for our customers and clients looking beyond our borders. And that can go for nationally too. You know, we may not uh, have all that many folks asking me where to, where to go in uh, South America, but if we do, we know who to call. Uh, but we certainly have, have colleagues all around the, the north, uh, the, the northeast, the southeast, Canada. And we can pick up the phone and, and make a great introduction to folks who can give them the advice about that local market too. And that's, that's been a, a super resource for us. Well, we sure appreciate numbers like you, Andy. Thank you. Um, so let's kind of go back to the nuts and bolts for any buyers out there that are that are listening. There, I have heard more than once. Um, from buyers saying, well, you know, I, I we're ready for a vacation home, but you know, you can't get a loan for, for more than 50% of the cost. And I, is that true? No, no, that's, that's a myth. And, uh, there's, there's good, both, uh, regional banks and, and local banks. Uh, the, the vast, the best terms are with 20% down, but frankly, you can buy homes with a, with a 10% down payment or even a 5% down payment. So, there's plenty of capital in the system. There's, there's great, great banks and uh, mortgage originators that we can put folks in touch with, but you, you don't need 50% down to, to own a vacation. 20% uh, down if, if uh, they're going to do a uh, Airbnb. Um, if, 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 and we'll, we can talk a little bit more about that, but that, that's been a, a new phenomenon as well when people come up and uh, they, they start with maybe just renting out their vacation home part-time and it turns out to be pretty lucrative so they say hey maybe we can get another one and another one. so it's, it's turned into a quite a cottage business so uh speaking of of the economy and what are sort of what's been happening there i mean <laughs> the financial markets over the last few months have been interesting to watch 
And over the last few years, people have been doing more savings than they have in a long time. There are folks out there that really kind of don't know what to do with their money right now and are really looking hard at ongoing opportunities for vacation rental and investment properties. You mentioned Airbnb a minute ago. So for those folks out there that are considering that, what, what should they really be thinking about before they dive into that world? Well, I, that's a great question. And I think preparation is the first and, and kind of a reality check. Uh, like any, any vacation uh, rental, it, it can be a part-time gig where, where you're just renting out your, your one home, maybe during the summer when you're not around, or maybe a few weeks during the winter when you're not using it. Uh, but the, the biggest thing that we encourage buyers who want to get involved a little bit more is to be very realistic about the time uh, and the, the logistics. And if, if they're from Connecticut, who's going to be their, their on-site manager? Do they have cleaners? Do they have maintenance people that can deal with? And be realistic that, that a piece of real estate that they don't live in as a primary home or even a vacation home, and it's rented all the time or quite a bit, uh, they need to have some some budgeting for capital repairs and furniture upgrades and things like that. that uh, you know, short term, they buy it the one year and they rent it full time and they think they've hit a home run. But I think with any any investment property, you need to be a little bit more long term focused. And where is my where is my budget for my capital repairs and expenses that may come down five years down the road? I have to replace a furnace or a new roof or, or paint it. Uh, because the, the, the properties are, uh, they're in high demand and uh, they get used and they, they need to be up, uh, kept up and reinvested in. So I think be, being realistic about the time and who's going to do it and making sure that they're budgeting correctly to reinvest in the properties as they need it. What about land? That was another, there was demand for land during the pandemic, but I think maybe that's increasing now that people feel a little bit more space. You know, I don't think anybody necessarily as a first choice would have been buying some land during the pandemic to get out and then pitching a tent, right? I mean, there's there's work to be done there. Um, but now folks are really starting to look at that as an option. What should those folks be looking at if they're shopping for land? Uh, we generally encourage them to get together with a, a good general contractor. And, and, and uh, we, we sold five times as much land over the last three years as, as we've done in the last 10 years uh, altogether. So there was a big demand for land. And, and some of it was just, I'm go I've got to get my piece of land before it all goes away. And I want a place to pit my, pitch my debt. We did have actually people doing that. Wow. So the, uh, the, the land is, I think it, it's a safe first step for a lot of people. They say, well, we can afford it. You know, we can, we can buy the piece of land now and then we'll save a little bit more and we'll build within five years. And that's a very typical uh, kind of time frame that people will buy a piece of land before they actually start building. Uh, but the, I think getting advice of a good general contractor, what's it cost to put in a driveway? Um, most of the land is a little rural, so we put in septic systems and wells. We don't have uh, public utilities out in the woods. Uh, so what's it really going to cost? And to be realistic about what they want. Um, so they have some time. So I think working with a good general contractor to get a, a basic idea of what it's going to cost. Uh, there's no doubt that the, uh, the building costs uh, have, have risen dramatically. Um, so we want people to just really have a good gut check. And they're not going to put up a $100,000 log cabin. Uh, that's just not going to happen. Um, so I think being realistic about what they want and what it's going to cost and, and uh, 
getting good advice from, from a contractor about just the, the site costs, what it costs to clear, and do I have to blast, or are there wetland issues? So being, being you know, just doing some due diligence. Yeah, I was going to ask about the restrictions, just making sure that there are, you know, they, they don't buy something and have a glorious vision of a big building that then ends up being illegal. That's right. That's right. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's this good permitting and, and good experts that can come out and, and delineate where they can build and where they can can build and making sure that you're not violating zoning. Um, and that's something that we've certainly encouraged people to be very careful about about the uh, vacation rentals now, because that's a moving target community community that um, many many towns are now beginning to be reactive to a very strong vacation rental market. And a lot of homes that maybe were only used a month or two out of a year, now they're being used all the time. So uh, local local regulations are, are changing town by town. And they need to be very careful to make sure what they want to intended use is going to be legal. Uh, and seek legal advice and check with the town that you're going to be operating in to make sure that your plans don't run afoul of, of the new ordinances that they put in. What about co-ownership and sort of the, the next-gen timeshare companies? What are your thoughts on um, that as folks are looking for, for different ways to, to buy? Um, I think, well, there's probably three things there. The, the, the co-ownership, uh, I think, has come back into vogue and has come and gone over the, over the years. Uh, but I think people have found a new uh, sense of, the sharing community, so whether it's sharing your car or sharing, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, Uber or sh house sharing, things like that, I think they've begun to say, hey, I don't need the house 365 days a year, so I can put together a small group of, of two or three families and buy it together. And that, that's that been uh, relatively uh, popular over the last couple of years. There are timeshare companies that are doing that for them. They're just doing the organization and saying, we'll buy the house and we'll sell you one week every month. Um, and I think those are all good alternatives. Uh, it, it depends on uh, you know, the, having the timeshare company do it themselves, uh, do it for you, take some of that risk of the, the capital budgeting and who's going to put the roof on and things like that, because that's all built in to, to their budget. So I think some of that is, is making some sense. Or if you do it with a, a family or Group for families. Just have a plan. You know, have a have a budget. Maybe everybody pays something every month for the eventual roof repair or repainting or regrading the driveway, whatever that might be. The uh, the other uh, switch in, in buyers that we've seen, uh, and this is both vacation homes, but also more primary homes, is we've seen much more of a shift to uh, multi generational homes than than we've seen in the past. Uh, that they're buying larger homes. If maybe if the, the primary family only needs a two or three bedroom, they may be looking at a five or six bedroom home uh, where, where mom and dad may come to live or, or the grandkids come and stay extended periods. So some of the larger, uh, maybe in-town, large Victorian homes that had been falling out of favor for the year because people didn't want five or six bedroom homes for a family of four, those have now been very, very popular, and, and they're they're bringing extended family in to live with them, and that's a, that's an interesting dynamic change that we've seen over the years. So, as people are looking to go into this process, how 
what kind of advice do you have uh, for, for picking the right buyer's agent? Um, there's so many choices out there. I think we've got 1.6 million agents at this point in the in the United States. It's a lot of lot of choice. What would you say people should look for for finding that right agent? You know, I think it goes back to your earlier question, uh, Jessica. You know, if I had somebody looking for for uh, some advice on where to buy in Mallorca, I wouldn't have a clue. Real estate is local when it comes down. So what I would be able to do is, is to, to work through the network and to be able to find the, the right broker and, and do a good introduction to somebody who knows that market locally. And that's really, I think, the, the key advice is somebody who, who knows the neighborhood, who knows that the, maybe the local zoning laws or, you know, can point them in the right direction that uh, this town might have just passed some ordinances that are going to restrict your, your ability to rent to maybe only 90 days a a year, and that's that's a popular change. And so I think real estate is local, and you need somebody who knows the local market, is involved in the community, that can act as a resource and put you in touch with a builder. If, if you're going to want to buy a piece of land, uh, we want you to talk to a, a, a local builder who knows uh, what it costs to build in that in that particular area. It may cost something completely different to build a, a home in Florida than it does on a mountaintop in northern Maine, where you have to put in a mile driveway and uh, bring power in, and you don't have utilities, so uh, I think all real estate is local, and the right the right broker is one who knows the neighborhood that you want to get into. And we do we do see uh, brokers who come up from the metro areas, and uh, they they have their buyers, and they'll come up. and One of my brokers at a ski area uh, was working with a, a metro broker and their buyers, and uh, unfortunately that the, the broker had no idea where she was. She didn't know what mountain range she was looking at. She didn't even know what, uh, at some point, what county she was in. And it, it, I don't think that's a good service. So I think when the broker is out of their element, their best advice, pick up the phone, do a great introduction, do a referral, get them into the hands of a local broker, whether it's in Mallorca or Northern Maine. Andy, you have been a leader in this industry for a long time. One of the questions that I love to ask sort of as a, as a closing cap on conversations is what is the number one piece of advice that was given to you over the years that has helped carry you through as a leader during tough times? Um, well, you didn't prep me for that question, Jessica, so I'll have to... I'll it to... was a surprise. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that... The trait that I look for and hopefully uh, provide myself and, and, and hope that the agents do it, it's to uh, be genuine. Uh, we're here to help people, um, whether it's helping find a piece of land, whether it's helping them sell a house and relocate. Uh, I think people look to the, a good real estate agent as somebody who can help them solve some sort of a problem. The problem is they need to relocate or that. The challenge is they want to buy a house in a, in a hot, hot market. So I, I think what they're looking for is, is genuine, good uh, advice and counsel. And I think that that's that's the trait that has carried me through. Is, is, uh, be honest with people, develop a, a, a good friendship and a good uh, relationship with people by, by giving them unbiased uh, advice. Be competent. Know what, the, well, know what is going on. So I, I think that's always, uh, you know, be a student forever. 
understand what the market is and keep ahead of the trends and being able to, obviously we can't predict the future, um, but we can, we can look at trends and we can tell people that uh, you know, this is what the data is indicating. And uh, I think to be genuine and to be honest uh, and to be, be available, I think is probably the, the traits that I would look forward to. Well, knowing you for a number of years now, those are certainly the traits that you embody. And I appreciate your guidance, your thoughts on the market today. And I know our audience will as well, Andy. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. And uh, for you prospective buyers out there, you are now better armed uh, to go out and make uh, a wonderful choice on this next adventure. So best of luck to everyone. Listeners, thank you for being here. Andy. Thank you so much for your time. Again, uh, always great to, to see you and hear uh, your thoughts on what's going on out there. Nice to see you as well. Thank you for having me on. Take care. Bye.